unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today I'm going to preach the fourth series of marriage. And, uh, and our reading is coming from the Song of Solomon, the second chapter from about the 15th verse. You will read with me the Amplified Version. This is a lover speaking to and of her man. This wonderful woman made some very fundamental statement that I believe tonight is going to be the foundation of what God wants to speak to us today. And she says, My heart was touched and I fervently sang to him my desire. Take for us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards of our love, for our vineyards are in blossom. This is a woman saying that my song fervently sung to my lover that he should help tame or catch. In fact, if you read the New Living Translation, it says, catch all the foxes those little foxes before they ruin the vineyard of love for grapevines are blossoming. She's saying they were in the earlier years of their relationship, their love had just begun. And then they started to see little foxes. And these little foxes had started to destroy their relationship at the beginning of that relationship. So she tells her husband or her lover, let us catch these things, let us arrest them. Let us deal with these things such that in future, we don't have trouble in our marriage. But this text, even though might match so much for a prose and poetry student, it has a very deep interpretation and meaning that I feel today, I want to give you today. And I believe that it will change your attitude and understanding of marriage. And uh, what do we mean by little foxes? We mean the small little things that are so insignificant when seen from afar and don't look like are of importance for us to attend to, yet they're the very things that are destroying the vineyards. In simpler terms, in marriage, sometimes the things that break marriage are very small. And they are almost so small that the people who are affected by them look so damn stupid or unserious that they are coming out of marriage because of these things. Why? Because it's only from their subjective perception they design or conclude that these things are simple. But to the person, their other person, their spouse, some of these things might be big. Some things you might call small might be so big to your spouse. And some things that you call so big might be so small with your spouse. Some things might even be generally small according to everybody but they might be so big in your house. And so, you know, sometimes we talk about the bigger things. This person is cheating on me, he's doing this. 
Oh, that's big. He's beating his wife. That's big. And then we ignore those little small things. And then we see people who are not beaten, to whom their spouse has not cheated, and vice versa. But it's failing. So we ask ourselves, we thought those are the things that break relationships. What is happening? Because we ignore the little foxes. In physics, mathematics, philosophy, and many schools of thought, there's a theory called chaos theory. And I'll not bore you into the semantics, the language of it, because not many of us in this room are physicists. Neither are we able to really interpret the language of whatever they speak, and that's okay. But uh, to make it simple for those of us, it describes the qualities of the point at which stability moves to instability or order moves to disorder. That place where what was stable becomes unstable and what was in order goes out of order and gets into chaos. And the world believes, especially the secular world, that things come from order to disorder, from stability to instability, from establishment to destruction, from good to bad, you see? So that's how the world believes. And they are right. Why are they right? Because the fallen world is in such order. Since the fall of man, Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and they were judged. Everything, the Bible says, was subject to corruption. The creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who was subjected the same. You see, if you lived in the day of Adam and there was a, an apple and a tree, because man had not been judged, that apple would not rot because it was not subject to corruption. It was not subject to vanity. If you had a ripe uh, banana on a shoot, that banana would stay ripe and freshly ripe until Adam ate it. If Adam had not touched it for years, it would stay freshly ripe. Why? Because man was not yet corrupted. Are you following me? But then when man fell, creation was subject to vanity and everything started to corrupt and die. Is that consequential result of existing in a fallen world? That is the fallen world from stability to instability, from order to disorder. As people grow old, some of them, everything that was in order starts to go out of order. When you were younger, you were the village ballet. You were that beautiful girl. You used to tie your belt here like this. You had children, life happened, the belt started going up, up, up. Now you don't even wear belts. You understand? And when you look at these younger girls, they also don't know that they are going to grow. But your skin stops to fit. You feel like this thing was up. Now it is starting to. Things are going down because we live in a fallen world. But here's the good news. The good news is that we don't subscribe as believers. We don't subscribe to that pattern. Why? Because when you read the Bible, 
it's not from glory to grass. It's from glory to glory. It's from faith to faith. From strength to strength. The Bible says that it fills your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed as the eagles. That means for us, the older we grow, the stronger we become. I can tell you the truth, the Lord being my witness, I feel healthier now than I was at 28. And that's the truth. It's not just a statement of fact, it's the truth. I feel it in my body. So when some of us tell you that age is just a number, we mean it. I mean, up to now, I run with 20-year-olds in basketball, and I run, and they get tired and sit. I'm still running because I'm strong. You see what I'm saying? So you need to arrest, most importantly, your tongue. If you want to see that youthful thing on you, you need to learn to speak right about yourselves. Some of you, you're getting up off a seat and say, oh, I've grown old. Boy, you're 32. So we see children who are 28, but they can't run. 35, but they can't walk. You walk from here up to the gate and then, it's as if they were running a marathon. Why? Because you are subscribing to the fallen world. We are not of a fallen world. We're in this world, we're not of this world. However, a part of us is of a fallen world and we live every day taming it. And that's the fleshly man. We are imperfect in our flesh. No man here can say that you're perfect in the flesh. See? But God has given us a design by scripture to be able to arrest our flesh and it agrees with truth. You understand what I'm saying? So chaos theory is at work in our lives, in our bodies, in our businesses, in our families, in our careers, in our dreams, in whatever we do, it is there. It's existently working and functioning in the sons of men. And under that, there is a principle under the chaos theory called the butterfly effect. And I think that term was coined in about the 60s. I think guy was Edward something, Lawrence or something. Now, the idea was, again, this butterfly effect rests on the idea or the notion that the world is deeply interconnected, which is true, that we are connected to every living thing. Why? Because they all have one principle of source, and that is God. The ground you're on, the trees that you see, everything in the world is interconnected. The animals, everything, the water, everything is interconnected, and we need each other. Do you agree? But also, because of its interconnection, a small occurrence in one thing can influence a much larger complex system. Small occurrence in one thing can influence a much larger complex system. And that is where we get the metaphor for this behavior that a butterfly flapping its wings in Brazil can cause a tornado in Texas. A butterfly flapping its wings, I repeat that, in Brazil can cause a tornado in Texas. Because this little small flapping, you cannot explain how it will cause the tornado in Texas. You tend to think that the reality of these experiences is just a story, folklore, things they tell children who are going to bed. But the reality of these principles exist daily in the earth. Uh, that some little, very little small occurrences can affect such great consequences in life, even without knowing. Adam and Eve ate a fruit. They disobeyed God. What did that do? The whole earth is subject to corruption because two people ate the forbidden fruit. All human beings die 
because two people ate forbidden fruit. So you cannot underestimate just what one little thing, one little act. Huh? The death of one man gave salvation to the whole world. One man like this. Yet people die every day. But this one fundamental, Jesus, when he died, the whole world was changed. Are you following what I'm saying? As good as this can be, we also have adverse uh, consequences and stories that, you know, come through this. And this is where we want to really place our emphasis today as we're having this hard, very hard conversation that I'm going to have with you. That in marriage, sometimes it's those little small things that will have very big consequences. And many of us are not wise enough to discern the consequences of these things. And we stay indifferent in these little small things. And as I'm a pastor now for close to 20 years. I can tell you, I see it every day in my counseling rooms. People start having conversations. This person has done this to me. This person has done this to me. But when you really sit keenly to examine, you realize that what they are not talking about is actually the real issue. And some assume that they don't need to talk about it because it's the little one. And then they start talking about the tornadoes, but they ignore the flapping wings of the butterfly. So sometimes I want to get into them and tell them, but what you're telling me is the tornado. It's the bad thing. It's the bad stuff. It's what's happening. Where did we begin from? Because butterfly effect, chaos theory respects the beginning of things. It's always foundational. That is why 99.9% .9 of the marriages in the world that are dying are dying because of their foundation, how they began. What happened at the beginning of that marriage? In the earlier years or months? Because remember, you're meeting somebody who's 35, you get married to somebody who's 40 or 22, and they're all 22 years of life or 35 years of life or 40 years of life, they were not with you. Now you are learning to adjust and adopt to that individual and they are doing... Likewise, it's a hard thing. So, of course, that is why in marriage, we always tell couples, the first three to six months are going to be months of adjustment. Those ones expect everything. Expect the shock that the person you thought you knew because you dated for 10 years, they were not so. You discover that in the first six months. And that's a very healthy experience. It's good because it grounds you. And because you're mixing it with infatuation, that attraction, you know, uh, physically, there's a confusion there. And if these first three to six months, many things are not established right, and the infatuation wears out because nothing truly lives until it dies first. So many times God will allow infatuation to die for true love in the commitment you meant to come up. And for some, as that infatuation lingers in those first three to six months, if it's not handled right, the attraction dies there. And then they stay in marriage just to... Mm, God said. You see? Or if they are weak, they start to look for, you know, pleasure and happiness elsewhere. And then they also have those infatuations elsewhere. Those few months, it wears out, and then they are back to where they are. They either become serial cheaters or they discover they made the mistake and they can't reverse many things. But wherever it is and wherever it begins from, the point is... That process of adjusting to each other is important. But when you are founded right, you adjust well. You understand? And so you come out of feeling, you enter the realm of commitment. That if any feeling then should grow out of there, whatever feeling comes, it shall come from the foundation of the commitment that you made before God concerning that spouse. 
That is why God requires you to commit when you're making marriage vows. Because the time will come where you will not move by the feelings you had for that individual and you'll need to honor the commitment that you made with God. Or before God to that person. Are you following? But if it's handled right, a greater love grows. A greater love grows. A greater love grows once you handle those months right. And when that greater love, agape, is revealed, you realize the infatuation was an inferior thing. It was small. That one you can feel for everyone. This one you can only feel for one person. Somebody shout hallelujah. But um, if you're not married, I'm speaking nuclear physics. Somebody shout hallelujah. But then back to our issues. And then in trying to understand each other, especially when we're in counseling, we're preparing couples for marriage. We want to help them understand who they are individually first before they understand the other person. Because there's a danger in trying to understand somebody when you have not understood who you are. Who am I as a man? Who am I as a woman? You see what I'm saying? Men have different wearings from women. We were wired differently. I gave my pastors an example. I told them it's hard for a man to connect things when he's upset. That is why many of you, you realize what men usually do is they keep quiet. Because we're only trying to tell you when I'm upset, numbers can't add. You understand? When it's overwhelming, we keep quiet. Now, women, the way your brain works, it works 380 kilometers per hour when you're upset. You can connect everything. You even remember the date 10 years ago of what happened. For us, we don't. Do you understand? Women's brains can connect things when they're upset. For us, we can't. You have to first come down, then go back through the chronological order of things. Yeah? That is why usually if you've been in families where women quarrel, you realize some men, at that particular point, the guy just switches off, even when he's right. His head is... So if a guy has no self-control, he also wants to give his point. You get? There are things we don't keep. We're not good with chronology. We're not good with years. We're not good with dates. We're not good with birthdays. We're not good with anniversary dates. We don't even know how long we are married. I'm telling you, I see this all the time. Oh, how long have you guys been married? The guy says, 10 years. Then the wife says, no, seven. And you're like, bro, three years. Three, three years. Notwithstanding, they are special men. They are special men who have those days. Especially those ones who are like one boy and eight girls. Those ones, yeah, you have women tendencies. You keep records. Women keep records from the day you first dated, the first day you went out, the first day you told her you loved her, the first day you bought her a dress, the first day you bought her a shoe, the first day you made her hair, the first they have it here. Some of us men, we are struggling to even keep our anniversary. You don't remember whether it was the 19th or 29th, or you, it's there. Your brain is there. Charge the mind, it's not the heart. That's just how we are. There are also those little things that really are not so important, and they're okay. You understand? I gave a story uh, by father. One day, I was 18. I think I was 18. I used to fall sick. I had a very bad period of sickness. Sickness upon sickness. Now, I remember one of those days, I was very sick. I had to call my father from 
His workplace, I was at school. They drove me to the hospital and I'm shaking and I'm shivering and my head is switching off. I can't talk. I was so sick. I couldn't talk. Temperature was high. Every bone in me was broken and I felt I was dying every second. So my father, they take me in. I'm not talking. I'm shaking. I'm really sick. And then I remember they put me on the bed somewhere in Mango. And then this nurse, the doctor is here, the nurse is here, so they get this injection to, you know, papa. So the nurse does this, I'm like half asleep there. The nurse asks, how old is he? My dad, Paolo, he said, I think he's 23. (laughs) You know, at that particular point in my dying self, I realized these guys might inject me an injection of an older person. <laughs> I stretched out in all my dying. I said, 18, and he went back. <laughs> Guy almost got me killed. <laughs> they treated me. I said, told daddy. After that, I got okay, but it stayed in my heart. This gango would have taken me out. This man would have taken me out. This man would have taken me out. So I asked him one day, I said, Daddy, you told guys I'm 23? He says, you, but you've grown. You've grown. Eh. Yeah, that's how men are. That is how men are. So don't be offended if your father can't remember your age. He probably doesn't even know his wife's age. <laughs> men, we don't keep those things, but we try. We what? We try. And now, if I can give you a tip. For me to run out of trouble... I put a calendar reminder. Because that was the only word not to run in what? Trouble. I put every date that is important to my wife in my calendar. Alarm me four days before. <laughs> four days before. Otherwise, you're like, how could you forget me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Praise God. Hallelujah. But also I mention and I say, let's not build marriages based on uh, fictitious movies, on your novels that you read. You know, you can't, you know. I tell people, (laughs) the movies you watch are not real. They don't depict the true experience of marriage. No movie can explain marriage fully. You know, so I tell, especially my African girls, I tell them, don't take it as a big deal if your husband is not doing what you saw in an American movie. Why? Because the biggest rates of divorce are in America, specifically in Hollywood, where those movies come from. You understand? So there are some things that should not be a big deal. You know, I'll tell you an example. I watched uh, a movie once and this guy was, he was a romantic gentleman. Then they're coming out of dinner and this girl has this all on her and then this guy comes and opens the door. Then she, bah! Hey, mama. Now, you women, (laughs) you think every man will open a door. We are African men, some of us, eh? Sit, let's go. But I love you. I love you. But when you go thousands of years and study my DNA, my DNA doesn't know cars. It doesn't even know how to open cars. You understand? My DNA is a hunter. I know how to get animals and, you know, skin them and bring meat. And that could be my expression of love instead of buying you flowers. 
very few men in this room can go and you're looking for flowers. You understand what I'm saying? Because we look at these things and we're like, but how? How does somebody just like flowers? But they love them. But if it should keep your marriage, buy them. Buy them. Buy them. Praise the Lord Jesus. Buy them. If it should keep what? Your marriage. But it's not a thing. It's not an African thing. So because we were not raised with flowers. Flowers came later. Those of us who are raised in the villages, they were bishakas. Green vegetation. So what would you pick in the garden? You understand what I'm saying? So if you can, buy. But if your husband doesn't buy a flower, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. There are other ways of expressing it. So I'm cognizant of the fact that some things are really okay. They're okay if they're not, if you find an African man thinking a certain way, some of you watching from Asia, there are things Asians see that we find strange, but it's culture. You understand? In Africa, for example, men find wives in Asia. In some parts of Asia, women find men. You understand? But those are culture. Those are okay. If in case things don't fit, understand. But then there are also those important, pertinent issues that we need to touch. I'll give you a few stories. One day this man was married to his wife and they loved each other. And then this man had a biological dysfunction. And so he was not as functional in bed as he was expected. Okay? I'm very careful with my words because I have young children here. And so they have their challenges in marriage. So one day they misunderstand with each other and start quarreling and exchanging. This man backs and tells his wife, you don't talk to me like that. I'm the man of the house. And this woman answers this man and tells him, which kind of man are you? Which kind of man are you? Now, to be on the side of the woman, maybe she meant something different. Let me give her a benefit of doubt that she meant something different. Maybe she meant which kind of man are you when you're talking to me like that. Maybe that's what she meant, but she didn't complete the sentence. But there was an underlying problem. Little thing. The guy got his shoes, started folding his shirts, trousers, packed his bags, left. So they asked this man, why did you leave your wife? He said, I'm not a man. Simple statements. But you want to ask this woman, this is biological. Is it in his doing? Did you wake up to say, let me be like this? No, it has happened. Or oh, let's flip it to your side. What if you're not able to have children? And every day your husband is telling you, you, you can't have children. What kind of woman are you? You, you understand what I'm saying? It's beyond her. She's not able to conceive. That's not how. Then how do you get that kind of statement and use that kind of language on someone? It might seem little, but that's big. Because a man never returned back home. Because there was only one way to define him as a man, and she made it clear. There was no other way he could be a man. Are you following what I'm saying? Simple little things. And especially it comes with words, emotional, verbal, abuse. Because some of you say, ah, you know, he doesn't beat me. Or my wife doesn't fight me physically. Yes. But did you know that emotional abuse 
is more painful than physical abuse. There are people you can beat and roll and break and you make sense and reconcile. But there are things once said they might never go back easily and that marriage might never be the same again. One time a woman quarreled with her husband and she told him that I wish we never have sons because I don't want to have one as stupid as you are. There were simply words, but I don't think she knew what it means. There were simply words, but I don't think she knew what it means. Listen, she could have abused him any other thing, but not that. Some things can just not be said. You see what I'm saying? So there are things sometimes people speak with each other. They are little, but they have very huge implications. They don't seem like they should break a marriage. And there are some to whom you can say those things and the marriage continues. But it's never the same again. Some of you were born again enough to say, you know, God hates divorce. This happens, but you keep in. But certain things are not the same again. Simple words. Simple statements. And some, they're just spoken in anger but your spouse can interpret differently. And out of that, a lot of destruction can come through. You see what I'm saying? So it's important for us to know that thoughtless words, Proverbs 12, 18, they might have not been here. Thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword. Thoughtless. The person didn't even intend them. They don't even remember they said it but somebody kept a record. They don't remember they said it, but somebody kept a record. Oh, God help us. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because I have had things in my counseling that people say to each other and you're like, eh, wow. You see, so God help us. Now, it might not be words. It might be those little small habits that they are so little, they're not a big deal, but your spouse keeps speaking about them every now and then, but you don't seem to understand because they look so trivial. I don't like it when you do this. And when you examine yourself, you realize that those things are done. They are done. And you know they're wrong. But you know there are those little small wrong ones that are easily, you know, forgivable. Besides, you're born again and you have this whole understanding that marriage is forever and that you don't believe in divorce. So, but don't take it. It's not, a, it's not a big deal. Yes, but it's hurting. That's why I tell couples, if there's one of the most fundamental lessons that you should learn, make sure your spouse does not repeat themselves over the same thing often. It doesn't matter how small she might say, I don't like how you do this. I don't like how you do this. Or he might say, I don't like the way you say this or you do this. Take those things at heart and try as much as possible to make sure that your spouse does not repeat those things. Because some people, as they continue to repeat these things, something in them dies, but you cannot tell because it's little. It's a slight cut. It's a slight cut. Eh. Eh. Continue cutting. But eventually, as you, if you cut in the same line, one day it can become a very serious wound and septic. Are you following what I'm saying? 
don't allow your spouse to repeat themselves because when people get tired, I see it in counseling. You sit down to people for counseling and you tell the guy, tell your story. And the guy begins by doing like, <sighs> now I begin from where? Do you understand it? Eh? Like I have had these conversations times without number that I don't think this queen here can do anything about it. Oh, you begin with a woman and say, uh-huh, darling, tell us your story. And she's like, I don't know, Apostle, I don't want to speak. She's not disrespecting. She's saying, I've spoken these things before this ninja for years. Do you think it makes a difference, me repeating it before you, that we have had this conversation? Are you following what I'm saying? And sometimes also, I've seen, sometimes when couples misunderstand each other, I've seen them use the objects or elements that were ordained for love as weapons against each other. You understand? Weapons against each other. And when you use these things as weapons that were supposed to and ordained by God to be elements of love, your spouse will never look at them as elements of love ever again because they are weapons, they are transactions. You see what I'm saying? Oh no, it's no big deal. Come on. We can do this today, but even if it takes a week, eh? You see? And then negotiations come through over things people are not supposed to negotiate over. Jalabu Kenya told me of somebody who used to ask her husband to pay her money every time he had sex with her. Huh? not in this ministry, of course. But imagine somebody is using sex as a weapon of transaction. So what's the difference between her and a prostitute? Except that the prostitutes are cheaper. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's, if it's a negotiation thing and he's a good businessman, where would he settle? Would he buy it more expensive? Why he would get it cheaply? Do you understand what I'm saying? Why do you let your spouse negotiate where they can get free elsewhere? Some of you should grow up. They are negotiating for what they could receive freely. They are paying for what they can receive for nothing. So if somebody doesn't have self-control or no one longer, something is not working right, you have trouble. Because when some born again, people are still fighting some demons. Do you understand what I'm saying? But it's no big deal. Yeah, it's no big deal. But the butterfly is flapping wings. And eventually we're going to have a tornado in a few days. Am I communicating? We're going to have a tornado in a few days. Small things like hygiene, personal hygiene. Some of you were not taught. But can that? Yes, it can. It can, yes. And let me tell you something hard. It might be so <laughs> indifferently masculine, but it's true. The Bible has said that women are keepers of homes. Do you know what it means? To be a keeper of a home. Do you realize the scriptures say in Titus 2.5, a woman is a keeper of a home? Can I mean that men are not supposed to keep homes, but I expect that a woman should keep a home better than a man. I cannot keep a house better than a woman, even if I try. Are you following what I'm saying? Hygiene, small little things. I was dealing with a couple, a couple of years ago. This guy never liked to bathe. The woman said, I'm done. The guy didn't like to what? To bathe. I'm done. Why don't you clean your body? 
The guy can't bathe, he doesn't like bathing, he's allergic to water. <laughs> not scientifically, no. He's not like allergy, allergy, that when he touches him, he gets wounds. But for him, when water touches him, something happens. <laughs> you see? Likewise, there are things that are expected of from this woman. But again, if you have two people and they're married, right? You'd rather have a clean woman than a dirty man than having a clean man and a dirty woman. Who agrees? Because this is a keeper. This is a keeper. I might be dirty, but I don't cook. But imagine the cook, right? Being what? Dirty. So that means everybody in the house is going to eat off that. You see what I'm saying? This man might not be, because they're hunters, they go out, they go gather, they, you know, we are laborers. Eh? It's okay for us to sweat, it's okay for our feet and what, it's okay, because we are fighting, we're bringing bread on the table. You understand? Notwithstanding, we have some men who don't like to work. You sit in the room, you put on television and watch Netflix while this little woman goes to work. For you, I have a sermon, but that's for another day. When we're talking about a keeper of a home, if you went to visit a house and you found a dirty carpet, who would you hold responsible? Huh? If a man walked out of his house with dirty shoes, who would you hold responsible? Primarily the keeper. Now this might be hard because I'm not speaking from an Oriental English, you know, understanding of things. I'm choosing to go biblical. There are parts in a house only a woman is able to see. Even if you try, there are a few special men who are clean. There are a few special ones. But majority, you'll be cleaner than. Do you agree? Majority of the men, their wives are cleaner and more hygienic. They're the ones to keep this. You see what I'm saying? But you go and visit a house and it's smelling like a pigsty. You're visiting a house and they don't understand it as cancelling a man one day. The house smelled, left his bedroom, it was smelling, started sleeping in another, the house was smelling. One day he even left the house because it was smelling. Do you understand? And I'm, no, 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 cut, cut in our way. Human beings are smelling human beings. Yes, but some human beings are more. I didn't say it. It's you who said it. I'm more anointed than others. That's what I meant to say. These things are hard, but some of you, your mothers may not teach you this. Some of you, your fathers might not teach you this. And the only way you have this conversation is in church. Because I'm dealing with young men whose fathers never taught certain things, and I'm dealing with young women whose mothers never taught certain things. Or if they did, they never learned. Now, you see a boy is still dating a girl. You look at the girl's hair. <laughs> it's like a farm. Then you say, now, if she cannot keep her hair, of course she has things there, she's rearing animals in there. If you can't keep this circumference, the tubicle, how will she keep a house? Am I helping somebody? Somebody bypasses you and you have to turn. Not because it's the anointing, no. <laughs> they carry some. <laughs> you see, but you can't buy a deodorant of 10,000 shillings and do you understand? Some of you don't even care for your own selves. 
and you enter marriage and you discover that your body is no longer yours. It belongs to someone else. Ah, vows. I give you myself and all the things that I possess in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So they belong to you. You see what I'm saying? Allow me to say these things because when they come for counseling, we hear these things. They're small little things, but they have very big consequences. So if your person is humble enough to tell you, now here about me, let's work out something. Yes. Mm, work it out and help yourself. Are you following what I'm saying? But some of you say, ah, but it's a small thing. Yes, it's small, but it has consequences. I've seen people leave homes because of how they are smelling. It might be hard for you to take, but it's the truth. Are you following what I'm saying? So, and then the bigger challenge. The bigger challenge is that whether it's our manners, our speech, our way of life, our small little habits that we, we were born with and then they come into marriage but we're not willing to change them, I've realized that for the greater good, especially for them who have matured, people have learned to reconcile in spite of the madnesses in their homes. You understand? And what is reconciliation? Reconciliation means coming to terms. Reconciliation means harmonizing. Reconciliation means accommodating. Reconciliation means accepting the inevitable. That's all reconciliation is. That you guys, somebody can do something little, husband is doing funny things and somebody says, no, I'll accommodate them. And in accommodation, then there is peace. Are you following what I'm saying? But because peace is there, it does not mean that that issue has been dealt with. And that's why we get it wrong. That's why we get it wrong. People accommodate. People come to terms and say, okay, she's this quarrelsome. I, I met a fellow. His wife was saying, me, you know me, me, I quarrel. Oh, yeah. He will accommodate. But you being quarrelsome and you're accommodating, they don't mean that what you're doing is right. So maybe sometimes you tell your spouse very hurtful words and they accommodate. It doesn't mean it's right. You get my point? Maybe you do something to them and it hurts them, but they accommodate and they're forgiving. And we thank God for forgiving people because only by grace can this thing carry on. However, this kind of reconciliations that come through, or sometimes even circumstances bring the reconciliations. Two people are not talking for a week and then somebody died. Common cause. Eh, Gunda's died. Eh, God, that's so bad. Now the conversation begins. So they have to be together when they're going to bury in the car and then the conversation ensues and then they reconcile. That thing somehow the madness covers there and then they move on until the next day the madness comes in. You understand? And then the madness comes in and then they have this cuckold spell, stalemate, stalemate, chill in your corner, I do me, you do you. And then maybe it's a graduation part of their first son. Ah, then reconciliation, what? Comes. But they are not resolving. What is resolving? Getting a solution for the problem. Getting a solution for the problem. So, some of you, you've been living in marriages eh, of accommodation. 
marriages of accepting this person, the inevitable thing, and you say, she's like this, but let me love her that way. He's like this, but let me love him that way. And some of you are able to carry it on until Jesus returns. Praise God. But some can't. I know women who are in marriage waiting for their children to grow. They're smiling, but what's in their head is, eh? Let these gangos grow. They are doing everything you know in the book, but they are waiting. Let these kids grow. The moment they are full of age, this guy will never see me. They packed long ago. But they are physically having lunch with each other, sharing, laughing, even giving themselves high fives. But somebody packed years ago. They're just waiting. There's another one saying, I'm yamming it because it's feeding me. Let me get my money. I know some of you in it because you're broke. Because you said, now if I go, where do I go? Do I go to my sisters? We already have challenges with my sisters. Do I go back to my parents? I'll get ashamed on the village. So why is she in? Because he has given her shelter and gives her some money. The day she's liberated. You just hear. When she went, I think when what happened? And there is nothing that is as painful eh? as people get to a point. Because remember, as you continue to hurt each other, but you're not resolving, you're reconciling, but not resolving, these things are building up a mountain. From a molehill, from that little butterfly flapping wings, you understand? The command starts to go up into the sky to create the tornado. But because you can't explain the process of the two points, some people, they just wake up and they say, oh, you know, my husband left. But everything was okay. Nah, there were hidden foxes. We just didn't see them. We young women were okay, we were happy. And then one day, she told me I've gone to the village. She never returned. No, people don't do that. Especially where love is. There were little foxes, but they kept building and becoming many. And the she or he accommodated, he or she kept, he or she accepted the inevitable and some people can keep up to the end, but some can't. Because some of you, you're married to one of the members in the 14 million, but you don't know when the explosion will take place. You're there, you're walking with a time bomb. They said in Uganda, 14 million people are mentally disturbed out of the 48 million. So what if you're married among the 14 million and you don't know? You see, you're doing these things, but you don't know the manner in which this person's brain is functioning. Haven't you heard of stories about husband kills wife? But why did he? Bush abused him. No. That's the tornado. You were not there when the butterfly started flapping wings. One time I'm in a conference, women's conference, and I preach. And I find this lady, she's pregnant. And I preached and preached and preached. After preaching, it was one of those conferences. This woman comes on the side and opens the bag and says, Kalaba, she shows me a poison bottle. Says you've saved the fool. <laughs> I saved a man's life. That guy didn't even believe in Fanero, but I saved him. You've saved the fool. I was going to poison him. Then some friend of hers just called and said, let's first pass here and go to this, listen to this guy and then go. She had prepared that night to put something in the food. So I said, what's wrong? I am tired. So we start having this conversation. I'm seeing, I understand where she's coming from. It's been many years of reconciling what was not resolved. Now, 
the brain is at a point where it's full and it wants to explode and she has no solution except to take this guy out. Are you following what I'm saying? Except to take this guy out. Because many couples don't consider to resolve. And some of you abuse people's accommodations. You abuse your spouse's acceptance of your madness. You abuse your spouse's generosity because they forgive easily. They let go easily. They understand easily. They are forbearing and they are long-suffering. And instead of using that for your reconciliation, you use that father to do nothing about the issue. But you're killing them. You're killing them. And people do that a lot. I see it always in counseling. So, he cheats the first time. Second time, she catches him, forgives, catches him, and then accepts the inevitable. That is a serial what? Cheater. And when she accepts the inevitable, she goes, oh, even if she, yeah? Oh, so that one, no. And she catches me. She's used. No, she's not. She's just reconciling. But one day time sometimes comes and they can't take it. And then one day you do something so small and you ask, but how? This small thing now is the tornado because it is as a result of many things. Because you see, when you're building a mountain and you're putting a gram of soil on each, it doesn't struggle to carry it. But as this mountain continues to grow, it becomes heavier. And one additional grain or gram of soil might not have that consequence, but the collection of that soil is the mountain. So sometimes you don't know when the tipping point is. So some people keep, keep until one day it tips. It tips. It tips. And the day it tips, it's hard to reverse certain things. It's hard. You did this to him or her, and one day they wake up and switch off. Tipping point. And then you take ages to switch them back on. But they've what? They checked out here. Whether by body, soul, mind, emotion, or something switched off. Then you hear somebody, he doesn't touch me. She doesn't touch me. They switched off. And sometimes you're the one who switched them off. Yes, I go. By not resolving. Are you following? And then now they become the problem. Because they are not responding to you. Eh, you cannot have your cake. And then what? Eat it. You see what I'm saying? You're the cause of the problem, but after the problem now comes, they again become the problem. So some of you, because your person can allow that you can abuse or beat, she's there, he's there. But some is checking out. These are hard things, but we must speak. But you must take them in like drugs. You know those things when you're treating somebody and the drug is sour, but you're trying to heal it? Slowly, but you're not resolving. Slowly, but you're not resolving. Slowly, but you're not resolving. You're reconciling, but not resolving. You're reconciling, but not resolving until you get to a point where you must resolve. Now, if marriage was a building, and I always tell my children this, it's like you have a building and then a, a bulb goes off. And you say, ah, that light, we'll fix it, don't worry. Reconciled. Come to terms that that bulb is not working, but the building is moving, it's functional. Thank you. Next time, the sink stops working. Water stops flowing. There's a plumbing work needed. Oh, but is there a working sink? Yes. Okay, let's go with the working sink. Leave that one. When we're repairing the bulb, we repair that sink too. Okay. 
we move on. Next day, you know, shrubs start growing out of the building. Ah, what about those shrubs? Is the building fallen? No. Is it functional inside? Yes. But outside, we have problems with shrubs. Yeah, let's just let them. When we're doing the lights and the sink, who will do the shrubs too? Okay. Next thing, a window breaks. Ah, who broke that one? Ah, that's so bad. Can we put papers? Yeah, you put papers. Let's wait. When we're repairing the shrub and then repairing the light and then fixing the sink, we shall fix it all once. It becomes renovation. And I tell you, renovations are more expensive than maintenance because some things, when they break, they break others. And in not healing one, you have opened up a conflict in this whole complex system of the house. You don't know that in that mess up of the plumbing work, you're going to affect the tile work. And you're going to affect the other, other works that are interconnected electronic too. But because you couldn't fix this early, it takes ages and then one day you wake up in a major renovation. And those ones are expensive because those ones involve calling parents, they involve pastors, they involve friends sitting down, they involve everything. They're expensive because someone has to let out their heart and in letting out they have to ashamed you. Can I speak freely? Then you know you're in trouble. <laughs> that means he or she has been speaking in bondage. Do you understand? Or some, they realize that by diagnosis, they can't renovate. They may have to make an overhaul. This building is so dead that it is inhabitable. The only way you can fix it is by breaking it and rebuilding it afresh because it's too dilapidated to function. And you know what that means? Divorce and remarriage. You see, but if the light goes out and you put it back, if the sink is not working and you make it function after the day the shrub fell out, don't make it spend a week. If the window is out, get somebody to seal it the next day. That's how marriage is supposed to be run. Somebody shout hallelujah. Maintenance, not renovations. Resolutions, not just reconciliations. It's the only way we can deal with those little things. I spoke to you harshly. Or you spoke to me harshly. I'm sorry. Can we move on? We move on. You see what I'm saying? How do we avoid this? How do we make sure that this does not happen? Critical thinking. Because I can forgive you a million times, but we need a solution to this thing. Because we cannot always continue going around the same mountain. God will also call us like he told the Israelites, you've been around this mountain for a long time. Because in there now, the death of that relationship has begun. Like I said, some people are just in, even just for the church. They're saying, ah, how can I tell Bishop that? It's like those people who, <laughs> who go to churches because when they die, they want to be buried by those churches. They enjoy the message in one church, but they can't leave the other church because it's important for them how they'll be buried. Anyway. But in following, so somebody says, how now they think about the parents. They think about the children. They think about what they've done. Some of you realize that the properties are in two halves. <sighs> yes, okay. Reconciliation. Let's get in. Now that's a dangerous place because you're in marriage, but you're not happy. You're in prison. You look at a single boy walking and you're like, 
You look at him like you've seen Jesus. One person said that some struggle <laughs> to get out and some are fighting to get in. Ah, some of us are happy. Yeah. <laughs> say, so when you're talking that, you say it for your house because you have your madnesses. But some of us are in it and we are happy. Praise the Lord. We're not struggling to come out. But there are people who even when they are praying, they are indirectly but directly praying. Say, God, take me out of this. They know what they are praying. They have it in their mind, but they don't have words for it. But when somebody is ready to understand your madness, they forbear you, they are long-suffering, they are accommodative, they are understanding. The biggest mistake you would take is when they finally discover that you took their reconciliation for granted. That you took their harmonization for granted. That you took the peace that they chose to have even in your madness for granted. Because I tell people, that's where God steps in and he deals with you as an individual. And it's a dangerous thing when God deals with you. It's a dangerous thing when God deals with you. I've seen it all the time. Have a pastor friend. I'll give you two. One of them, this woman used to, oh my goodness. She would tell him, I don't want you to go for ministry today. And that's fine. So one day they come for him for ministry. She soaks all his trousers in water. You know, those kinds of things. They abused the fellow. And then one day God had to deal with her. He took her. I will never forget a guy I knew. His wife was very abusive. She used to even abuse him before church members. You stupid, you, you know, you're fake. You're, eh. so I remember I was with a pastor friend. In one of those days, we had a random conversation and said, but this woman I feel is going to go home. I feel she's going to go home because eh, this is too much. So one day we have a conversation with our brother. This man is like, you know, I told God that if I have to serve him, either he helps her, corrects her, or he separates us. He, this man received a vision of her death six months before. We knew it before she died. He went to God and said, God, at least correct her. Says that by the time you take her, she's a very good human being. And in those last months, she was the best woman you could ever know. But it was already judged. And in that very period, she went home. God took her. He didn't kill her. She's in a better place. Because hey, if earthly matters fail you, God can take you to a better place and you enjoy heaven and serve. All of us want to go there. So God graduated her early. You understand what I'm saying? But it's those little small things. It's those little small things. Nika, what's the big deal? She just laughed at a man who was naked for his God. And God strikes her barren. He strikes her barren. We were dealing with a case recently. Eh? One of our pastors was sharing. You know, this man, <laughs> he tells his wife, let's add more children. This woman says, already these ones that we have, you're not doing anything. If you can't show me how we are going to look after the third and fourth, I'm not giving you children. What? Can you show me that biblically? Can you open the Bible and show me where you deny a man his seed because you don't have enough money as a house? No, you don't understand. No, no, woman. It's you who does not understand. Because you need to open the Bible and show me what your mothers used to do in that time. Oh, so the man discovered that, hey, even having children, I have to what? To negotiate over seed? He said, okay. The fellow 
Let me not even say, because some of you must understand the seriousness of these things. What has he done wrong by asking for more children? Oh, he doesn't have enough to look after them. So what? Don't they have a God? I'm not saying I'm against family planning. No. But there is a voice above family planning. I know I might not be popular saying this because I'm not in your house and because I'm not in your house, you think you're more right than truth. No, you're not. You're not. Do not. They make you right. Because are you telling me God can't raise those children? You're telling me God cannot provide? How did they raise you? Were your parents the richest? Did they have everything right? You even came from a poorer family than where you are. So how can you tell me that now you have better wisdom on providing for children as though you're their God? That's why some of you parents have problems with your very own children. Because you own them. Stop owning your children. They belong to God. Muslims marry four wives and have 27 children and they raise all of them. How can't you have faith to raise four? Where is your God? Believe God. Believe God. You know, even men do it. I don't want you to have more children. What do you mean? Why did God give her a womb? Some of you, God will deal with you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't do things that will frustrate what should work on your life. Listen to God. Hear God. What is God saying? Did God have an opinion? No. He can't look after these two children. So, did God have an opinion? How about those ones who are raped and they have to raise those children? Then God have a destiny for those children too? He does. Haven't you seen street children coming off the streets and becoming kings? Yes, because when it comes to raising children, it's God. It's God. And he doesn't need your money. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? It's little small things. Why are you denying the woman children? Why are you denying her children? You see what I'm saying? It's little small things. But they can become tornadoes. They can become tornadoes. Are you following? If we don't have these hard conversations, we are going to have trouble in future. We're preparing ourselves for tornadoes. And I know some of you listening might not agree with me. And you know what? As long as I'm agreeable to the word, it's okay. I might not help you, but I'll help another woman next to you. I'll help another man next to you. And one day, I'll be right. I always tell people that I could be wrong now, but one day, I'm right and I'm true. You see, some things are more costly than others. Some things are more costly than others. Some things that you deny each other will become more costly one day than they deny you. You have to take things serious. You must understand that marriage is, is a covenant. It's with God, it's not with us. Somebody shout hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, let me pray for all of us who are married and all of us who are going to get married and those of you whose children will marry. Father, Help us, help us catch these little small foxes and help us make the best spouses and fulfill your divine law. I'm not here to judge any man. I'm here to remind every man that we must submit ourselves to your purpose, to do what is right when it has to be done. And your word comes out strongly tonight, not to break us, but to build us. In Jesus' name we've prayed and believed. Amen. Shout amen.
I want to give an opportunity to people who want to say, today I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you're there and you say, I want to be born again, say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Change me. Transform me. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.